0: Good morning, Um, this morning's reading is from Galatians, it's uh, chapter 1, verse 11 through 16. I do not have the page that it is in your Bible in front of you, but sure, you can find it or your neighbor can help you. Um, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach to you is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How, I, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it! I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my, my people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who called me, or when God, who, bah, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me, so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being.
1: Awesome. Thanks for the uh, tech team and the worship team and all the other teams that kind of make the wheels roll around here. I really appreciate that. There are a lot of opportunities. If you guys want to jump in and serve in an area that you're interested in, we probably have an area that you're interested in. All right. So my name John and I welcome you online or here in person. We're continuing to roll through the book of Galatians. And um, before we do that, though, we have a pretty important question to wrestle with and that is, why are we here? Some of you are like, I'm so glad you're going to ask the question, because I was wondering, why why am I here? All right, we're here not to get a list of a ton of things that we should do, didn't do, could do, would do, um, but we all have lists that as we walk with Jesus, he gives us our own list, right? Stuff that I should do, stuff that I shouldn't do, and and I don't want to portray my list on you and measure you by my list, That gets weird, right? So anyway, um, we are forgiven, we're loved, we're free to respond, we're not enslaved to earn our acceptance before God, because that comes through Jesus Christ, and we are here to hear. And so I'm just going to take a minute and pray that God would speak to us, because we want to hear from Him. Good? Heavenly Father, thank you for Paul. Thank you for the people that lived in this region of Galatia that were struggling with important issues, thank you that you have an answer for them. Thank you that you have an answer for us. As we hear different gospels, different messages preached to us 24-7 about significance, happiness, fulfillment, we pray that you would give us insight today and wherever we are in our own realm and our own sphere of influence that, that your true, authentic, powerful gospel w- 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 would penetrate our world and and we would experience that enjoy it and then extend it to others amen so that's why we're here all right um we're going to review a little bit if you if you haven't been with us i'm going to just zip through this and if you have been with us i'm still going to zip through it anyway uh what is a gospel a gospel like matthew mark luke john we got four of them and it's just simply it's good news the the word gospel in greek euangelia it, it just means good news okay and so we the good news in scripture is about jesus his victory over sin death and darkness it's good news of his new kingdom his new kingship new benefits that extend okay now now i didn't do this last time but remember back in the gospel of mark this word gospel was commonly used in the whole culture they would use this word when, like, Caesar Augustus became king and conquered some new territory, they would write up a, a, a memo, they would send it throughout the land, the gospel of Caesar Augustus. There's new kingdom, there's, there's new territory, there's a new way of living, there's a new king, and, and, and we have new benefits. And, and all this is good news. And so in that culture, that was just like a normal thing. So when these gospel writers start talking about the gospel of Jesus, everyone's like... Oh, so like another new king, another new kingdom that they're already like kind of on track with, except it would probably rattle their brains because like, but he's, he's not really a king, right? He's like, he's like a guy down the alley that builds stuff. What, what do you mean it? So anyways, that's, that's what we're, we're talking about. So that's the gospel. Now, here's the question. In that culture... Were there other Gospels? And yes, there were other Gospels, but in, in Galatians, when Paul starts off and he says, I'm astonished you are leaving him, the person, for a different Gospel. In Greek, there's two different words for different. There's different of the same kind, and there's different of a different kind. And he's saying, I'm so astonished you're leaving Jesus for a different of not the same kind Gospel. Like, it's not, it's not even the same kind. Okay, anyway. So the pillars of hellenism in this culture this is what the greek culture was selling as the gospel your new life it, it's education healthcare, entertainment and athletic competition that's where you're going to find fulfillment joy meaning and everything else this is the gospel of the first century all right now mark in his gospel repaints jesus as the excellent teacher the the ultimate healer and the one who amazes the crowds and battles the pharisees but but that's that's mark but in our context of galatians there is yet another gospel because he says you're leaving him for a different gospel well that would be the gospel of old testament judaism and as i'm looking at it from my, my vantage point i'm like that's not really good news that gospel <laughs> it seems kind of heavy and harsh but anyway this is what the jews were clinging to okay um the gospel of the 10 pillars of judaism Now. Just a little side note, you got the 10 tablet, the 2 tablets there with 5 on one and 5 on the other, that that's not how that worked. I looked high and low on Google, couldn't find the accurate version. Makes me wonder if everything I see on Google is true. <laughs> anyway, in this culture, if they would have two tablets, it goes back to to the Deuteronomy, the suzerain vassal treaty between a god and his people that he rules over, each party would have a complete record of the deal. It's like a contract. So tablet 1 would have 1 through 10 for God, and tablet 2 would have 1 through 10 for the people, so they know what's going on. But I digress. Anyway, we'll just roll on with that, okay? So the, the, the first century had the gospel of Hellenism and the gospel of the Old Testament, laws. You've got to keep these. We have our own gospel in our culture. Have you ever thought of that? Pay attention to this week to messages you hear that are basically the gospel, the good news. Well, we have a new way of life through technology and power and advancement and and this and that, military conquest or peace or whatever it is. We have a new kingdom, a new way of life, new benefits, and this will give you hope, meaning, and purpose. We hear it all the time. We just need to really tune in and go, ah, you're telling me about a false gospel. It may be true, that technology is wonderful, and it's great most of the time. Anyway, it just doesn't, um, doesn't build up to be the gospel. So here's, here's, here's something funny. So that's the first 10. Got the 10. Who's up for the next 603? Now, in case you don't know what's going on there, the Jews took the Ten Commandments, and they kind of latched onto them, and they got really, really excited about making sure they don't do any of the 10. And so in order to make sure they don't violate any of the 10 commandments, they make a bunch of other commandments to just safeguard the 10, and they end up with 613. That's a heavy responsibility to navigate life with 613 things you should not do. That's, that's that list thing, right? All right. Anyway, so... We are um, reviewing here, and we we talked about how Acts 13 and 14 come before Galatians. And in Acts 13 and 14, we have this very key verse. Remember the three groups? Brothers, sons of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles. Three people. And he says, to us, including the God-fearing Gentiles, has been given this message of salvation. So Paul is rocking his world saying that the the God-fearing Gentiles are the addressees of Jesus' gospel, and that, no one else thought that, so that, that's pretty, pretty radical, pretty new, and here's that, that verse right here, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those, number three, who fear God, this is what he's saying, this is the first missionary journey, he starts in Antioch, he goes through all these cities, goes back to Antioch, after the first missionary journey, he writes Galatians, I'm going to kind of refer to this several times today, but that's basically what we see here, okay, alright, and then we go, to um, the book of Galatians. After the first missionary journey, he writes Galatians. The Jews of Galatia were saying Gentiles are not included, and Paul says, yes, they are. That's, that's the basic tension, okay? And then Acts 15, it was such a contentious issue, they, the, the Jerusalem council had to meet and, and basically officially declare, do the Gentiles have to do the law or not to be saved? And they concluded, nope, don't have to. That's, that's the story there, all right? But in this Acts 13 and 14, um, when they're going on their their journeys, um, just listen to some of these um, some of these these passages at uh, Pisidian Antioch. Maybe I'll just go back here to a map. So right here at that little town, um, they went out. The people begged them that they had just preached the gospel. They begged them that these things might be told the next Sabbath. And the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered together to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. And then here. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing. That's where power is. And the leaders of the city stirred up persecution against Saul and Barnabas, and they drove them out of the district. So, and then they go to Iconium, which is somewhere on the map. And um, at Iconium they gathered together in the Jewish synagogue. They spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Then they go to Lystra. Having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. Then they go to Derbe. When they preached the gospel in Derbe, made many disciples uh, they strengthen the souls, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So you, you get the, the idea that the gospel is being very well received, but there's always this contingent of Jews that are just angry and poisoning and contradicting and frustrated and, and fighting. How would they do that? Because Paul's gospel is undoing their entire world. Paul's gospel, Paul's Law-free gospel is undoing their religious system. It's undoing their worldview. It's undoing their heritage. It's even undoing their economy. Everything is geared around their religion. You and I, you know, you might think, well, I've got my life over here, and uh, yeah, I should go to church now and then. <laughs> That's not how this worked here. It was, it was 100% saturated in their culture. And so if Paul's gospel is going to be believed, that means you basically admit My entire ancestry has been bogus, and I I have no place on the planet. That's a a tall order, but that's that's basically what's going on. Okay, so um, they resist that, all right? And as I said, then they get to this verse in Acts 15. Some men came down from Judea, teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Give me give me a time machine that that would be like in the top 25, right? I just want to see this no small debate. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. What what question? The question is how are Gentiles saved? I mean, are they saved with the law without the law now remember when it says circumcised it's kind of a weird thing but that is code word in in the old testament world that not just one thing but the whole law you you don't just do one part of the law it's the whole thing the whole shebang you have to uh figure that out all right and so this is what the argument is about this is paul's new gospel it came from god alone didn't come from any of the apostles he didn't ask for this he's going to damascus and we'll get into that, but something's going on in his mind, in his heart, on the way to Damascus, and God erupts into his history. That's fascinating, and it's it's he's arguing for justification by faith alone, lifts up Jesus alone as the Messiah, and explains as explained in the prophets, which are read <laughs> every Sabbath, as we see that they're gonna be they're gonna have read the, this every Sabbath for 14 years, and somehow. Whew, all right? All right. Okay, so that's kind of where we're going. So now we're, um, we're in... Um, get to our, our title here. Which one fills in the blank? The FOMO gospel, the Wi-Fi gospel, the Hi-Fi gospel? Okay, if you don't know FOMO, I was watching some TV show, and um, you know the, the, it was like one of those younger generation, older people, and they had an, they had an older person here, and they're like, what is FOMO? <laughs> this lady's like... I don't know, but where I'm from, that means I want four more of those chicken strips. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean four more. It means fear of missing out. Well, th- it's not the fear of missing out gospel, okay? Uh, Wi-Fi, you, you, we know what Wi-Fi is, except this is weird. Did you know that Wi-Fi doesn't stand for anything? It, is not, it does not mean wireless fidelity, even though that's kind of borrowed thought. Here's the deal. It is the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers Wireless Communication Standard 802.11. That's what Wi-Fi is, but the people in charge of this said, yeah, we we can't call it that. So they hired a firm and said, give us a name, and they came up with Wi-Fi. Trivia. Hi-Fi, back in the 80s. Anyone remember this? This is your stereo system from the 80s these massive things and cords everywhere my dad had all this stuff right i even searched for that specific tape deck because my dad had that and oh man when i was in ninth grade that was the deal right all these levers and buttons and eq right and cables you remember this okay for some people here this is a lp record player used to buy vinyl anyway they're coming back which i can't figure out but anyway good luck with that i'm going to stick to anyway um and these speakers right here these are bose 501 speakers i'm in 8th and ninth grade, I want a stereo system, so I have a paper out. I save up my money, and I save up my money for, like, months and months, and I buy these speakers, like, $500 or something. So as a kid, I have these speakers, no stereo for, like, another five months. Because I'm just like, and then my dad, my dad upgraded his stereo and gave me the old one. I think he just felt sorry for me. You know, that's, that's what good dads do. It's like, oh, hey, by the way, I don't need this anymore. Anyway, so this is the old hi-fi. It means high fidelity. High fidelity means that the sound you're hearing is, is highly accurate to the original. High fidelity. And so, guess where we're going with Paul's gospel? It's highly accurate to the original because it came directly from Jesus. He didn't get it from a copy, from a copy, from a copy, okay? So, now, instead of all this stuff, we have this. A phone and a speaker. And, I, I mean, my dad, he was great. I would tell him my phone. I would tell him how many commentaries and songs and movies and all this stuff. And he would just get this confused look and go, well, I know you're not lying, but how? <laughs> it's just, it's one of those things, right? And um, anyway, so we're going to go with the hi-fi gospel. We have the high fidelity gospel. It is highly authentic and accurate to the original. It, back in the 80s, again, you had, uh, I forgot her name. Euretha Franklin, I think that's it. Anyway, she would sing, and, and her voice would break a glass. They would record it and hit the record, a uh, Memorex. They would record it, replay, and then the glass would break on, on the Memorex tape, and that was a big deal. So the question today is, can you believe the gospel you hear in your culture? Can you believe the gospel that if you buy this, you're going to be happy? Can you believe the gospel that if you buy that, you're going to be happy? Or have this, or go there, or change your zip code, or whatever it is, that's where we're going, all right? All right, and so here is Paul's outline. This is the book of Galatians. Three simple sections. History, defense of his apostleship. Theology, this is what it means. And ethics, this is how to live it. And if you think about this, this makes perfect sense, because what is history? History is what God has done. God did this. He came and he erupted into my, my history and changed everything. So what God does is history, and, and what God says is theology I am the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob you know and, and that's theology and what how God teaches us to live is ethics all right and so it's all it's all kind of a cohesive pack package pretty pretty um, pretty clean um, book there's not a ways not all the places to get lost in here like if you're reading Leviticus or something okay so Paul's end game is justification by faith and he is all about the law-free gospel which causes a lot of angst okay verse 11 finally get into chapter 1 verse 11 not not nor verse 11 okay not man's gospel not receive it from any man nor was i taught it i received it through a revelation so the the reason the, the fact that paul is saying didn't do that implies people were saying you did do that he's answering accusations you got it from man, no I didn't. You just made it up, no I didn't. Okay, so when you, to, you have to understand in this context he's getting accused left and right because no one likes, no Jew likes his law-free gospel so they're attacking him. You just made it up, you wanna be powerful, you wanna be popular, you're lowering the standards and letting these Gentile dogs come in. That's what you're trying to do, Paul. You're trying to please men. You're omitting the most important things of the gospel, Old Testament, and that's all the adherence to the law. And he's like, you don't have to do that anymore. That's part of what he's saying, all right? So if Paul doesn't get it from another person, from a rabbi, that's where he would have gotten it, right? And he was educated by the best rabbi in all of Judaism, uh, Gamaliel. I might be pronouncing that wrong, but that's just how I say it, Gamaliel. Uh, shows up in Acts five and um, he, he he was the, the leading rabbi, tons of respect. I'll get into that later, but um, each rabbi looked at the Torah, the Old Testament and they they had their own way of interpreting it and their own way of applying it. And so if you're a young person in Judea first century and you're you're a fisherman and you really want to become someone's Um, disciple, a rabbi, you would have to basically look around and see which rabbi do you agree with? Which rabbi do you think is interpreting the Old Testament the correct way? And then you would align with him. Well you would apply and you go, hey I I want to be your disciple and he would quiz you and all this stuff and this is how the quiz would go. He would just open the Bible to whatever passage in Jeremiah, start reading and stop and you seamlessly would have to finish that sentence. They would just, yeah, wherever he opened it, you would just have to, that's the level, okay? Crazy. Um, so the, the way the rabbi interpreted scripture was called the rabbi's yoke. So when you're accepting the yoke of a rabbi, you're aligned with him, you're supposed to be covered in the dust of your rabbi, you're following him, you do whatever he says. Now Jesus comes along and he says, my yoke is easy. This is what he's saying. He's like, I'm not about all these heavy 613 weird things that you have to do to, to be accepted by the Father. The Father, I and the Father are one. You've seen me, you've seen the, that, that whole thing. And so his yoke is easy as compared to the Pharisees, all right? So Paul is saying, I, I'm no longer aligning myself with Gamaliel, the amazing guy. I, I have a different rabbi now. I have a different interpretation. It's a law free... Uh, uh, Um, a law-free gospel that is in Scripture. He just never saw it before, all right? So, he goes on in verse 13, says, you've heard my former life, how I persecuted the church, I was advancing in Judaism, extremely zealous, and um, he says that's not anymore. He's still ethnically a Jew, but he's just not following the Old Testament commandments anymore. But look at this. He says, I was trying to destroy the church. He wasn't just upset with it. He's actively trying to destroy it. And I'm, I'm asking myself, who would ever come up with a, a scheme and a plan to destroy the church of God? Hmm, who would that be? Satan wants to destroy the church of God. Okay, now, we're a millimeter away from crazy here. Because what, what, what it looks like is that the religious institutions of the first century were Satan's tool to kill Christianity. It's not Rome that kills Jesus. It's the Sanhedrin. I mean, Rome is the weapon and the mechanism. They don't really care. It's just a, whatever. The Jews, the Sanhedrin. So isn't that interesting that, that Satan could use the, the religious institution as his primary tool to kill the church? And I'm like, what? Time out. i got to think about that. And if it was true then, could it be true at another point in history where Satan gets a religious system so concocted and so complex and so dependent on man's things that you're missing the heart of the gospel? Yeah. Cuidados, amigo. It means be careful, or at least my Hebrew teacher used to say that when things were tricky. I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but anyway, all right. So yeah, it was not a group of terrorists that kill Jesus and attack the church; it was the religious people themselves. All right. So Paul is saying, I used to advance in Judaism, I used to persecute the church, and now I'm um, I'm not trying to stamp that out. I'm throwing the door open. All right. Okay, back to some history. In the first century, it's very complex. There's all these different people. Jesus comes to the earth, and it's a mess. you got all this stuff. you got Gentiles and Jews and everything. But we're going to zero in on this, because Paul was a Pharisee, and he probably was the Shammai group. Now, Hillel was a guy, a man. Shammai was a guy, a man, and they both, they both emerge as leaders of their respective vastly different ways of understanding Scripture. Hillel was very liberal, and, and just like, oh, sure, the Gentiles can be saved by faith— you're not a Jew, but, you know, you can, be, you can find justification. Shammai was super strict. You know, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that. So you see this in Scripture. Let's take a little historical bunny trail through the Gospels. Middle of John. Some Pharisees said this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division. Now, which group of Pharisees would have objected that Jesus doesn't keep the Sabbath? The strict Shammai? Yeah, probably, right? So Shammai is like, hey, you got to keep the rules. This guy doesn't keep the rules, and they're freaking out. Okay, well, what about this next one? How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Would that be Shammai or liberal Hillel? It would be liberal Hillel because they're like, well, yeah, I know the rules are important, but look what he does you gotta you gotta listen to that right you gotta weigh it and so those are some things that um and there's a bunch of that stuff but in the gospels you see you see these two different groups of pharisees um struggling with with jesus and what that means okay all right so paul is is from probably hillel um Gamaliel was Hillel's grandson, and he was a president of the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin is a group of people that kill you if you do something religiously that they don't like. In Acts 5, they had cornered, I think, um, Peter and John, and they're on trial for speaking Jesus. And, they're, and, they're, and the Sanhedrin says, you've got to shut up. And Peter, you know, he's not really, um, he doesn't listen to him. He's like, we're not going to do that. We're, we're, we're not gonna listen to man we're gonna listen to God we're gonna keep preaching and this is the Sanhedrin it's like dude you're, you're an inch from getting killed and this is when Gamaliel Paul's mentor steps in, in Acts chapter 5 it's a fascinating chapter and Gamaliel says okay take these guys get them out of the room and then he says to the Sanhedrin it's amazing um, in the present case I advise you leave these men alone let them go for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. That's the kind of wisdom Gamaliel had. And look at the, the, these, the Sanhedrin was enraged, offended, and, and shamed by this, this fisherman, this hot-headed fisherman, and they want to kill him. And Gamaliel comes in and says this, and they respect Gamaliel so much. follow his advice in the midst of that heated situation that that tells you this gamaliel guy he has weight when when he steps in the room he's got weight okay and this is paul's mentor okay Um, so it says here that he was called by his grace have you ever wondered about paul's conversion I mean, we know the story. He's going to the road to Damascus, probably because as a super big deal Pharisee, he's got a special big deal mission, so he's going to Damascus, and then all of a sudden, God shows up, hey, I'm going to save you, whether you want to or not. Doesn't it kind of read that way? You're kind of like, I don't think that's how God works. I mean, there's no record of Paul really, like, being contrite and, you know, this and that. But Acts chapter 9 is when Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. But what happens in Acts chapter 7 and 8? That's the context. Acts chapter 7 and 8, that's Stephen. Stephen is, is killed. He's stoned to death, but not after he gives an entire chapter 7 sermon on the entire Old Testament. And it says very clearly, they threw his robes at the feet of Saul, who was there persecuting him. So Saul, which is Paul's name before he went on the mission to Gentiles, Saul heard Stephen's sermon of the Old Testament. Now Saul knows the Old Testament. He's memorized it. But this sermon, he's never heard that before. And in my mind, just to understand that I've got a verse for this, in my little mental movie mind, this is how it works out. That he hears Saul... um, Stephen's sermon of the Old Testament. He's like, what? Never thought Jesus, the Messiah, the, you know, the, the suffering servant, and this, all the Old Testament allusions. Stephen goes through the whole thing. I just wonder if the Spirit of God just took Stephen's sermon and just dug it into his heart, so much so that he's on the road to Damascus, and he is maybe inside, like, could it be? What if? And then the Spirit of God answers that little inkling of of i wonder and he's like yeah i am i am the real deal That I just i just wonder okay um, but but paul was set apart for the gentiles which is really ironic because when he's a pharisee he's got no time for the gentiles get out of here and now he's called to go get them it's just you gotta love that right but, but why why wouldn't timothy be a better person i mean timothy He's he's got a Greek father and and a Jewish mother, so that seems to be a nice Jew-Gentile combo. But Timothy wouldn't have access to synagogues, he's no big deal. Timothy doesn't have classical Roman education and, and all that stuff. And so God gave Paul two tickets that really help advance the gospel. One is he's a Roman citizen, and so as a Roman citizen, he had classical Roman education. Um, he could argue his case from Jewish law as well as Greek literature. Uh, as a Pharisee, he, would, um, he was trained by Gamaliel. He could go into any synagogue at any time uh, from the inner circle. had tons of respect. And so um, Paul's audience of the Gentiles is highly ironic because he used to be shutting them out, and now he's going and pulling them in. And his message is ironic because he used to be, Um, The law, the law, the law, and now he's like, if you say the law, you're accursed. So he's just 180. Very interesting. All right. Well, anyway, he goes and he says, "I I, I," in verse 16, I didn't consult with anyone. I didn't go to Jerusalem. I didn't talk to anybody. I went to Damascus." Now he is going to have to undo his entire training. Um, Imagine this: you get a PhD, takes six or eight years, and you 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 get your dissertation, and then you find out you get a memo. By the way. Everything you've concluded is wrong. Go back and do it again. When I was in my dissertation project, your, your advisor is, I always joked, he's like, like the Egyptian god Ra, God on earth. Whatever he does, you say. If he says you've got to change course, you change course. It's, it's a terrifying situation. But imagine you're finished with this, and all of a sudden, yeah, go back and, and uh, redo it all. Ah, panic. That's what Paul had to do. Same textbook, the Old Testament, but just you're you're not looking at it right, okay? So, the main idea here is that um, Paul's gospel is independent. It's not dependent. It stands alone, okay? It's independent, and it's clear. And then he goes on to verse 18. He says, after three years, I went to Jerusalem. I was only there 15 days. Now, in a culture where you spend decades learning your theology. He's very clear here. I was only with with Peter two weeks. You can't build a whole different theological system in two weeks, okay? He's like, I didn't get it from him. I was only there two weeks, all right? Then he goes on. Well, he says, I'm not lying, which tells us they were saying, you are lying. Verse 21, I went to the regions of Syria, Cilicia, still unknown, and they're praising God because everyone's Everyone's being saved, but here's basically where he goes. He's born in Tarsus, right? He goes down, he's trained in Gamaliel, in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. He's on his way to Damascus, and he's converted. Talked about that. And then four, he goes off to Arabia. Now, this may look weird. You might think is down south, but in that culture, Arabia is everything east up here. Damascus is in Arabia, So when he says, I went to Damascus and Arabia, it's the same spot. So just mental movie, so you don't don't think he has to go, like, super south down here. That's all Arabia, okay? All right. So he goes to Arabia, he goes back to Damascus, and then he goes down here, meets Peter for just two weeks, not enough time to redo the whole gospel, and then he's up here in Cilicia and Syria for 14 years preaching, 14 years. And this is right here. This is the area of the Galatians, all right? And then, after that, um, he checks his gospel with Jerusalem. I'll cover that. And then he finds Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas finds Paul in Antioch, and then they go on the first missionary journey. All of this conversion stuff happens before the first missionary journey. Paul, Barnas, and Titus, all three of them. All right? All right. And that's the whole, the whole thing there. All right. So, moving along here. Um, How long was he preaching up there in the Galatian area? 14 years. He has been observing this Jew-Gentile tension for 14 years. And during this time, this 14 years, there's that passage in 2 Corinthians where he's like, I was stoned, beaten, shipwrecked, robbed, and all this stuff. That probably happens up there in that 14 years or his family abandoned him and, and everything else. So he goes to Jerusalem. He doesn't need to go like, I'm really not sure if I know what's true. He's like, I know what's true, but what does it mean to the Gentiles? That's why he's checking with Peter, because Peter's already had his Acts chapter 10, the sheet with all the unclean animals. And Peter's like, dude, I had this dream, and, and this guy, he got baptized, a Gentile got baptized. And, and James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, is like, let me tell you about the Jew-Gentile conflict. Yeah, we're, we're right there, man. We're living it. And so Paul is like, okay, this is... Um, The new gospel welcomes those people in, and the people in that culture didn't know that yet. They couldn't figure it out, all right? So that's why this verse, those three people, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and you who fear God, the Gentiles, to us, the gospel. But look at this. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they didn't recognize him or understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, I still think that's just a jab. You know what I mean? Every Sabbath. So here's the deal with this. The way the synagogue worked, you, they had it all mapped out. You would read through the entire Old Testament in a year going to synagogue. This day in synagogue, you read this passage. This day in synagogue, this passage. So during these 14 years while Paul is saving Gentiles galore, the Jews are faithfully reading the Old Testament through, end to end, 14 times. And their are lo- leaders, huh? Whoa, what? Jesus, what? They don't get it. And that's an example of that. So it's like, it's like Paul, imagine a house with a window, multiple windows, but you you got a window, and you are looking through this window, and you see in the house, you go, I think I see there's a picture and a chair. And the the Jews are outside looking into the house. They go, oh, picture in a chair, picture in a chair. That's all there is, picture in a chair. Paul is inside the house, and he's like, there's more. There's a kitchen, there's a couch, there's a TV, there's stairs that go in the basement. And the Jews are like, no, picture in a chair. That's it. That's all there is. And Paul's like, no, there's more. I'm telling you there's more. And it's that perspective thing. They just can't figure it out. Have you ever had that experience? You see what this is? Is it a guy running in the in the woods, I got this from Facebook. You see the guy running in the woods? No, it's it's a dog running towards you. But can you see the guy running away from you? Okay, so one more. We were hiking in the redwoods. See the bear right there? We're hiking in the woods now. I I'm in the redwoods and I'm thinking there could be bears here. I'm already like poised. Does it look like a bear to you? Maybe not. It's just a, it's just a piece of wood. But I thought it looked like I looked I looked like a bear like right anyway. So, all this to say, Paul's gospel is independent, it's not dependent on anyone else, he got it straight from Jesus, and it's crystal clear, all right? Can you believe the gospel that you hear? That is the question. And so we have voices in our culture, messages, we have gospels of money, of power, of advancement, of of control, social control through political parties, That's, that's a gospel that our culture is very excited about we want to be engaged as as citizens but don't make it the gospel you see what I'm saying Um, so a lot of voices in our culture but but to acknowledge the gospel of Jesus is to acknowledge him as creator and us as the created and to accept realistic boundaries there are sexual boundaries as I acknowledge God as creator and me as the creation. There are economic boundaries, relational boundaries. There are all kinds of boundaries. And our culture is very skilled at stiff-arming those boundaries and saying, I want to be my own truth. I want to live my own way. I want to have my own life. And Jesus comes along and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And our culture, like that's not very tolerant. That's narrow-minded. You can take that up with him. When you meet him, one way or the other. all right? And so, a couple key questions here. What cultural voices pull you away from the gospel and limit your life? Are we susceptible to those persuasive messages of our culture? Are you a prisoner of your freedoms? So we had a girl live with us in the basement once, and, and it sounds like we locked her up. But anyway, she rented it from us. But anyway, and um, she was like, she wouldn't even, couldn't even schedule when to do her laundry, to, because we shared a laundry room, because she was so, she was, had to be free. Anyway, there are other things in her life that she uh, occurred to me. She's a prisoner of her freedom. Anyway, are we willing to submit to God as Creator? What false arguments do you wrestle with in your belief? In the gospel of grace, there, there are some ways that the enemy twists, causes us to fear, causes us to doubt. But we don't have to doubt because Paul's gospel, Jesus' gospel. Is it, is it your gospel? Is it the same gospel? It, 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 it can be. It should be. All right? So um, let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us truth. Thank you for giving us minds that we can evaluate the messages we hear. Thank you that we have historical records showing that Paul's gospel is clear, powerful, authentic, from you. It wasn't made up. It wasn't twisted. And yet it confronts us. It confronts our sin. It makes us uncomfortable if we don't know you. I pray that for any ears hearing this that don't know you, that you would soften the hearts, help them understand your goodness, and all of us want to respond to your goodness. And so may you empower us to share the good news of your grace and acceptance through Jesus to those we meet this week. Amen.